Hi, I'm Sean Horn, founder and CEO of BeBell.ie. So what is BeBell? Well, it's a place of positivity. It's a place where you can be happy, be kind, be bold, feel supported and encouraged to fulfill your dreams. So join us on social at BeBell.ie for future events and upcoming podcasts. Hello and welcome to BeBell Podcast. I hope you enjoy today's podcast as much as I I enjoyed it, I suppose, recording it. Um, we'll explain a little bit about our relationship and how we first met. But what I loved the most about this podcast is really talking about how you need to have confidence, even the confidence to ask for help. We also talked about bereavement and just talked about how amazing Kira's journey has been and how far she has come. So, yeah, I, I absolutely love this story and I hope you enjoy it just as much as me. So, Kira, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Who would have thought 15 years later we'd be here? I know. So it's so weird. So I'll explain to people. When I first moved to Ireland in 2000, I ran the David Lloyd Riverview Club and Kira worked at Riverview um, at David Lloyd. And it's probably, well, it was June COVID, wasn't it? So maybe eight, eight months ago, yeah. um, you text me. And funnily enough, like about two days previous to that, I'd, I'd actually come across a picture of us outside a pub a team picture and you're in the picture and I was like okay this is really strange this is meant to be yeah yeah very strange yeah yeah but lovely it's so nice and actually the other people that I keep in contact with you know recently I was chatting to them and I was like you won't believe what's happened in the last few months and Kira's now part of the women's club that I run and you have a fabulous business in Kildare and yeah, it's so lovely. It's so nice to uh, to come the full 360. Exactly. Like many, many years later. And I'll always remember just the welcome that you brought, not only to, you know, new people who joined the company then, but to everybody. I actually thought you had shares in David Lloyd because <laughs> you, I thought you owned it or something to do with it. And it was just amazing. And I love that we've done the 360 now and yeah. um, I get to be part of your amazing club. Do you know, it was funny, actually, yesterday I did an interview for a radio station and they said, um, you know, what gave you the confidence to go and work for yourself? And I actually said to them, I never felt like I didn't work for myself. Everybody I ever worked for, I thought their business was mine anyway, because yeah. <laughs> that's just the way I was. But, uh, yeah. oh, no, it's lovely. Listen, today is all about you. Um, you've listened to Bebel podcasts and it's all about the person behind the brand and the story that you have. And so... Where did it all begin for you, Kira? So I suppose I didn't have the best start in life. Um, I was born in the Rotunda and all went well. A few weeks later, I had a very bad accident um, and I was in a bouncer at, the, at our garden and I was bouncing away and I fell and the bouncer came with me and I hit my head. So I was only a few weeks old and I was rushed to the children's hospital, which was on Harcourt Street at the time, had all the prayers and the christening and everything because nobody quite knew whether I was going to make it and then had surgery um, on my skull. I had fractured part of my skull. And then, yeah, I'm here today to tell the story. So that's where it started. 
Okay, well, they always say, you know, when a bone breaks, it heals harder. So that might be why you're so clever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Um, so growing up, we I grew up in Marfarnham, South Dublin. Um, we, I had a great childhood, um, grandparents around. I had all different types of family members around me. And, you know, it was great to have loads of different experiences. My grandmother was very much a queen yes. and she even her initials were the same as the queen so she she liked to be like the queen and it was like high tea and elevenses and you know china cups and then on the opposite side I had my nana who had the jam sandwiches sitting on the wall at the front garden chatting to all this so it was so lovely to have the mix and just made you more aware of all the different types of people and different social classes and everything and it was just yeah it was great and, and did you have siblings growing up did, yeah so I have a brother who came along two and a half years after me um we didn't have the best start in our relationship I felt I was the only one and should have always been the only one. Um, but yeah, he, he, you know, you have a sibling then to play with and um, to be with. So it was great to have that. And yeah, so growing up, my, my there is music in my family. So, yeah. you know, my mom would, we would have had the piano and I have pictures of me as a baby sitting my mom's lap, you know, trying to play the piano. My grandmother was a singer and my grandfather was the organist in Dublin okay. here. So there was music in the family. So I obviously loved music, loved being around it, was born to it. My daughter now is definitely very similar to me. And what got me started was I went for an audition when in junior infants to win a cello. Okay. And it was just a competition in Taney School where I went to and you had to sing something and I sang Twinkle Twinkle. There he was, four or five year old singing Twinkle Twinkle and I came home with the cello. And that's, that started my musical journey. That was a big moment when I look back that that day winning that cello uh, and that started it. Absolutely. And uh, funny, I've lots, lots and lots of friends from Taney and uh, that went to that school as well, a little bit, a little bit before you got there, I'd say. But um, for you then, right, winning that cello, did, were you always in that lane then at school? Did you find friends that were like have the same hobbies as you or were you still sporty? What did, what did you I love? I was kind of a mix of everything. I loved the sports. I loved the academic side of school. I loved music, but music tend to push me, I suppose, away from the, you know, primary education. And, and in, I did try and balance the sports, but music really was you, clearly yeah. the passion. And, you know, outside of school, you'd be in orchestras, lessons. I also studied in DIT, so I had the piano and that was from a very early age. So in terms of like after school, being able to meet up with friends or build those connections, I did find that hard to balance all of it. Yes. Um, and Taney is a very big school. It's one of the biggest Church of Ireland schools in Ireland. So there would be a lot of competition with social groups and things. I did, I did find that hard. Music yes. pulled me at the very young age. I think I think when you when you move into a group at that age, isn't it? It, it is. It's really hard to balance. It's something that we're not taught. Um, like I, I was very sporty. So if my fr my friends were all into sport because 
that's where I spent all my time. But as I got yeah. older, I, I very much was aware of the other social networks. And yes. so I tried my best to spend time in different areas. And that's, I suppose, how yeah. I've ended up being the networker that I am. Um, but so how did you deal with that? Um, I, I suppose I just immersed myself in you know, the after school activities, the orchestras and finding friends, like even if it was just one friend in each of it, you know, not trying to be in the popular group with all the friends, yes. trying to find one, at least I had one there in each of them because like that, we were all in different schools. We were all different. So, you know, in DYO or placed in, D, you know, in DIT where you'd be waiting to go into your uh, lesson, you'd be all on a row outside in the corridor sitting down. But again, making a friend just so you had that so I suppose I would have had lots of friends but one from each particular place and that's how I um you know my social group and it's still there today I have one from each <laughs> different group um so I suppose the music really then followed with me I ended up joining the DYO which is the Dublin Youth Orchestra um and I studied then cello with um a member of the National Symphony Orchestra as well so I eventually, you know, ended up getting the music scholarship to Wesley. And that's where I went to secondary school. And that just opened a whole load more doors, okay. choirs, music trips. Oh, it just, it, it made what I had gone through in those previous years of, you know, finding it hard in school to be able to do the play dates and the, because I was so busy with music. It really, I was like, oh, I can do all of this time. <laughs> absolutely and I actually the only Wesley I know is the disco on a Friday yes. night so. <laughs> it's not the disco <laughs> it's not the disco <laughs> yeah not the disco even though I did go to the disco a few times but no it's like it's in volunteer there and um, it's just a fabulous school and I think having the music scholarship really confirmed to me that this was the path that I was going and um, so yes I did you know my best with education but the, you know I suppose that's when sport just was gone for me I couldn't do the sport and and the music as well so a lot of the time while everybody else was going out to play their matches or anything we'd be in the music rooms you know playing something or you know getting ready for the next concert so music was a great I suppose also at that time, it was a great distraction because my own family life was had turned a bit. My dad had come back um, from traveling around the world. Um, he had a big European job, but he was struggling a lot with depression. And I suppose music for me was a distraction from that. Yeah. Um, and he was a great dad, absolutely fantastic, but he had his own troubles. Okay. And it, I just immersed myself in music at that time. And I suppose that's where I... For those next few years, I reached burnout with it because it, I was using it as a distraction. And I, you know, joined the National Youth Orchestra, the Young European Orchestra. At one point, I was in about 10 different, different music groups. And it was to get away from things that were going on. And when did you recognize that probably was a distraction and you weren't dealing with your feelings? probably after the junior cert okay. it was you know the year between you kind of go on to your fifth year the fourth yes. year transition year where you, the sky's the limit you can then go and do you know work experience or things like that whereas at that point I was probably going into my peak of 
being part of everything to do with classical music and you know you're doing the higher grades you're really really studying very hard I didn't have that time to go party and relax like the rest of my friends I had to go to be up at seven o'clock in the morning to study and practice so I think that year and did you feel like you were missing out yeah absolutely yeah and was was there anything you could do about that at the time um, I suppose I always just tried, like I said, try to keep that one friend or the other friend of the group that would have nothing to do with music. Like it was so lovely just to have that distraction. And I, I am very blessed that I do have and still do have friends that are not just in music, in all walks of life, because uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes to get the distraction, you need to talk to somebody else who doesn't know anything about it. <laughs> 100% you have to have yeah. that balance you can't be in one lane for for your whole life yeah. so if you look back on that would you have done anything differently do you think I don't think so because I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't put my head down and keep working and keep you know going through it um and like Wesley the school itself just brought so much memories and so much experience and I'm forever grateful for the music teacher there Mr Hughes he just literally took me under his wing and just yeah it, the music education that I got from the school was just phenomenal and I like I said I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that. So to get you where you are what happened after Wesley? So what happened after Wesley was I was part of all the orchestras, you know, still studying in DIT and then privately Royal Irish Academy. I decided to take a break from the music and I went and studied marketing in DIT as well. Uh, at the time, my dad wasn't doing very well and I found it very hard to live in the same family home. I met um, my first partner and he provided a you know a new experience and you know a new world and I decided you know what now is my time to leave the family home and just find me for me and um, so at 19 I left and moved in um, hadn't a clue what I was doing had only a little part-time job giving me a few euros a month. Um, but I knew I had a head on my shoulders and I was going to make this work. And how did you feel leaving? I suppose not just leaving the, the family home, but yeah. leaving your dad and your mum. Yeah. How was that dynamic? Uh, it didn't go very well. And I felt very guilty for the pain that I had caused them. But I was at a point where... I knew that I would end up suffering if I had stayed there. So I, being selfish, and I suppose you could go back and say maybe it was a bit selfish, but I felt there was no other way I could make this work. Um, and, you know, I think an, an awful lot of the time now people are talking about mental well-being and mental health and everything, and it's great, and I think it's amazing. I just don't still don't see enough emphasis on people who live with somebody with a mental illness. And they're the ones that take on the burden and take on the feelings. And don't get me wrong, of course, like somebody who is suffering with a mental illness or anything, you know, they do need all the help they can get. 
but I still don't think there's enough awareness about that and especially when it comes to children and teenagers uh, for many many years I felt lost I felt I couldn't talk to anybody about it there wasn't anybody you could like career guidance counsellors in schools were mainly what career do you want yeah. you know <laughs> they weren't about that so I did find that very hard but then I found myself yeah and I, I knew that day and that month that um, I moved on, right, I can make this work. I can go through anything. If I make this work, I can do anything. But I think that shows huge maturity um, and, and great strength from yourself, even have the understanding that you needed to protect yourself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I think, you know, uh, at an age where you know you're 19 are you rebelling or are you an adult you know when people turn 18 but like I'm an adult now but are you really <laughs> you know you were 17 yesterday um so but I have always been more mature than my age and you know at 19 I was definitely able I was well able to make it work so I did I took on the more jobs I did all the gigs at the time I did an awful lot of functions for Orsonictron for the president I was also in uh, the Lord Mayor's you know place there and I very much connected with government functions and things so I took on everything I was in Microsoft doing functions these actually at a point where people started to recognize it was the same quartet or same people playing so I did it and I made it work and I and I lived in Storgan for a little while on my own because I didn't want it to be that I'm moving in with a boyfriend I moved out I got my own place with other students and um yeah it was a great you know it, obviously a sad but also a very um a time that I can think back it made me it made yes. the strength and the confidence that I have today so then after a while um we myself and my partner decided to move to Spain for a little while um, so we did that uh, for a year and that was amazing that was where in Spain did you go in, in Marbella oh lovely um, in Marbella I and also during this time I had completely rebelled against music being a career for me okay I was just I've done all the exams I've done everything I've put you know there's 17 years into this I just needed a time break I, I you do reach burnout at some point and this was my burnout so this is a whole new experience for me going to Spain wow like you, you know just the different um work you know you you start work at 10 o'clock at night and not finish to five o'clock in the morning um and we met loads of friends and they came back to Ireland then you know with us and we're still friends with them today and it was a great experience it was fantastic and moving out was one thing but moving to a different country was another thing uh and and did you speak Spanish no uh, not at all <laughs> I worked to an Irish bar uh, called O'Grady's and um, he worked days and I worked nights so we were just we never really it was party time to be yeah. honest party time um, but it was a great experience and I look back and even that has taught me so much in business today how to communicate with different people and you know just yeah. yeah even that has taught me so much so we came back and I decided to uh, go into um you know marketing and different office jobs and trying to see is this what I want to do because I knew I always had business in my head too but I didn't quite know where 
watched it, you know, with it. And I, again, I just needed the break from the music still. Um, so that's where you met me. Yeah. And I was doing one of those jobs. Then I worked in insurance. I worked in an IT company, funny enough, but I had you know, a year ago, I didn't know how to use anything to do with IT. So, um, and just, you know, tried to set up, I suppose, a life for myself and with my partner. And then in 2008, we found out we were expecting. And in 2009, I had some, the January 2009. And it was amazing and terrifying all at the same time. I didn't bring a baby bag with me. I thought I was actually going to die. Uh, I said, there's no point to getting any baby stuff whatsoever. Didn't have one thing, nothing. Oh um, went in, had him, and I remember them saying, do you have any other baby clothes? And I, no, I don't have anything. <laughs> just thought I was going to die. I was like, there's no way I'm going to get through this. So I just completely uh, signed myself off to not surviving it. Anyway, lived to tell the tale. Uh, but unfortunately, during that time, my dad was going downhill and um with depression and you know mental health and an awful lot of the time comes substance abuse um because people try to hide their feelings and try to deal with it and my dad had um turned to the drink over the those few years before that and six weeks after sam was born my dad suddenly died and what did he die of kira um it was liver and kidney failure so his organs were failing um yes but I mean, you wouldn't have known until about three days before he actually died. A week before that, he had met me in Dundrum and was walking around with Sam as the proud granddad. And, you know, you just wouldn't have known. It was the, um, his skin color changed to yellow. And obviously the jaundice look and then the doctor was called. And he went in on the Tuesday and reluctantly and then on the Thursday morning, he passed away. Yeah. So as you can imagine with a six week old baby and not expecting for somebody to die um, was all a bit of a shock actually. You know, I don't remember too much about the funeral and the days after it, you're kind of in just this complete shock. Um, and, you know, like it took an awful lot from family and, people around us to support each other because, you know, we weren't the only ones grieving then. It was, you know, the aunts and the uncles and ever because we didn't, we weren't able to tell anybody, you know, it was a phone call, he's not here anymore. So um, <clears throat> then obviously I had Sam and myself and my partner were working. I did find I had to kind of, you know, help out with the family more and, you know, take on a few things and help my mom. Um, but I suppose Sam was the great distraction. He was like the baby. And, you know, as you were grieving, you also were delighted at the, with the baby. So it was, I don't know, you know, you, you could say things happen for a reason. I definitely believe that that happened for a reason. Um, it just took away the pain. Yeah, I think in, in that circumstance, I, I lost my dad, very similar circumstances, actually, yeah. um, and very quickly. And yeah, there's something about new life helping us through those situations. Yeah. Um, and having my nieces around and everything was certainly a, 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 actually a distraction. Again, yeah. go back to distraction, but it did help us heal because I think for me, I was quite angry with my dad for, for a period of time because yeah. I didn't feel, I felt like he had more 
he could have been with us longer had he chosen a different path. Absolutely. And I felt so angry. And, you know, even now, even today, you know, it can sometimes hit me how angry I am with him. I suppose it gets easier though. I but I am angry that like he's not here to see his grandchildren or that he is just a memory and they don't know him. And we try to keep, you know, the chats about granddad here. But even for myself, like he was a great businessman and he was, you know, super successful. And he also was great with like electric work and all of this, everything that I don't have one person around me. To, to do yeah. all of that so he's very much missed but at the same time yes I do get angry and at that point I I didn't have any emotion at that point and um, because it was just so shocking um we didn't expect it and I think when you when your dad eventually goes in or your parent goes into hospital you believe that they're going to save them they can do something um so when they couldn't it was just why not loads of questions so that took the part of you know the next while to kind of actually realize what had happened I have to just ask you one thing so we just said you know when your parent goes into hospital you always believe that they will come out and someone will help them yet when you were pregnant you believed you weren't coming out oh I know oh yeah it didn't apply to me it applies to everybody else (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> exactly no exactly I don't know that theory didn't apply to me uh you know prior to then um but I mean, and I, I mean I know we're joking about going yeah. into hospital and thinking that you're not going to come out but like there must have been a huge fear in you yeah oh huge huge fear I I couldn't understand how I was going to have the baby um and at that point I suppose when I was pregnant with Sam I was huge I was absolutely huge and my hands were huge, my face was huge, like just, yeah. I couldn't walk, I, could, I was just like, there's no way they're getting this baby out, there's just no way, I'm gone, and it must have been myself protecting, you know, just yeah. because I went into it so blasé, I was, you know, I wasn't hyperventilating or anything, I just like, yeah, whatever, I was the most relaxed, up until a point you know you know you get to a point um but the question would be then I presume you're you're not scared about dying or not really I have to say in the last year through the pandemic it has yes I think everybody if you're human you've you've got that fear of the coronavirus or you know things because it's you know the media and everything have you know really played on that at the beginning it is, especially at the beginning. Um, but I think I, you know, I did watch all my grandparents pass away. Unfortunately, we have had other very sad deaths in our family with cousins and then my dad. So I know I have experience of seeing somebody go. And I think having that experience from such a young age, it nearly it can either do both ways. You could be absolutely terrified and never want to leave your house, or you feel like things just happen and you know, yeah, you just try your best. I, I so agree with you because I watched my dad leave yeah. and I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. You know, I didn't want him to go, but I I thought it was beautiful and very peaceful. And I'm and I would have been scared, I think, had I not seen that. Yeah. Um, so I still don't want it to happen. But, no, 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 no. But, I, yeah. but I'm not scared because I, I, I do truly believe that someone's waiting to take my hand. Absolutely. They are, though. They really are. Uh, and if you can see it peacefully, 
um, and then mourn the lost properly and, you know, have that. And I think that's what made this year so much harder is that people haven't been able to experience what yeah. we've had, that, you know, coming together after oh. and the hugs and the handshakes and everything that makes it feel it's okay. It's okay to cry. It's okay, but you have that comfort. And my heart goes out to anybody who has lost anybody over the past while that haven't been able to do that. It's so, so important. So do you think you gave yourself time? I know you had a new baby, six weeks old. So did you have enough time? And I, I suppose you had a support system there as well. I did yeah and my partner's family were absolutely amazing and his mom was just fantastic they took everybody took Sam under their wing he was going to this person he was going to this person of course he was always you know with me a majority of the time but it was just I had the hour or the two hours to have the coffee or go over to mom's house and help out and it was just yeah I the support network was just amazing and every I think when you go through something like that people come out of the woodwork you're just like oh I haven't met you in ages (laughs) um so then in 2010 I found out I was expecting again and then in 2011 I had another baby boy called Eli and Eli came into the world with you know Sam was an amazing baby he was just fantastic he never cried he's just absolutely fantastic Eli on the other hand was a big bang you know he yeah <laughs> he, he the colic the reflux the up all night the holding the I'm not happy at all uh, that's what he I always thought he was saying to me I just don't want to be here and um that was really hard uh, at the same time my first son Sam was diagnosed with autism and it was very hard it was one of the hardest points of my life having the two kids one with autism one who had colic and reflux grade five reflux it was just very bad and then a partner who was in work full-time I had very little support at that point because people had gone back to work you know um it, there was no grieving you know you were just you're a mum it's hard yep. and but it was it was very hard Sam at that point wouldn't like to be in the same room as Eli so I'd have one boy in one room one boy in another room I was lucky enough that the public health nurse managed to call one day and I think I had like half pajamas on and it's like the place is an absolute whatever up and down Sab had thrown everything and she just said look you need some help and that day was just amazing because the next day she had arranged this fabulous lady to come in for two hours a day so that I could just have a shower I could just have the breakfast um so yeah, that but that year took a big toll on my relationship with my partner. And we were trying to keep the friend relationship just, you know, the nights out or the just a break from the day-to-day hardship that we were facing with the two boys. And um unfortunately uh, we split then in 2012. It wasn't the nicest split. I'm sure majority of South Dublin find out. <laughs> what had happened it was it was very very hard um it wasn't both of our decisions and um, put it that way it was definitely one-sided and the hurt that I experienced was just yeah it was a very very hard time and having the two boys Eli wasn't even one yet Sam was obviously with the autism and we were I was struggling to find a place for him to go to school or even like to get help so financially, I wasn't, I was only back, was I even back? I wasn't even back working, really. Um, so 
I didn't I didn't know what I was going to do um, and at that point he, uh, my partner had taken some money so it had left me with nothing one day I had 10 euro in my pocket and <clears throat> not enough petrol to go and bring my son to play school that he had just started so I went into the community welfare office crying I literally I didn't know what to do I I there is no Google search you could do or like your friends don't know, you know, and uh, that's nothing against my friends or anything. It was just, you know, people don't know. And I walked in with the two boys and I just broke down mm. and said, I don't know what I'm, I don't know how I'm going to feed these two boys today. I don't know. And he handed me a check he didn't say much now. So I thought, oh God, I've done something. <laughs> There's something I've done here, said the wrong thing. He thinks maybe I'm trying to scam him or something. And um, I, he handed me a check and I said, I'm really sorry, but this is a Friday. So I'm not going to get this to be in my account until like Monday or Tuesday. And he was like, it's okay, Kira, the post office across the road will cash it for you. So I couldn't believe that like I was able, the feeling of coming out of that, the office in volunteer, knowing that I could feed my kids for the weekend and knowing that things were gonna be okay because he had, you know, things were in place then and moving to a different place and getting rent support and things like that. So I was like, okay, I can do this now. I can do this, but I will forever be grateful for that man that day because actually I was late. I didn't have an appointment. You're meant to make an appointment. He had to be closed by one. I had arrived at 20 past one. He didn't have to listen to me that day. And he did. So I would be forever grateful because from then on, I went home with, you know, a shop in the boot, petrol in the car. and said, I will never, ever get to that place again. I now need to make it myself. And I started working a lot more and took on hours from teaching. And yeah. And how did you, like, obviously that was the catalyst to make the change. Yeah. Did you then have, like, I suppose, goals in your head that you were determined to achieve? I suppose my goal was to not have to ever go back into that place again. That was a goal. Yeah, that was a goal. Uh, And to never have to rely on somebody else for financially completely again and I suppose that's probably a a barrier that I still have today and even though I have a fantastic partner and he's just phenomenal now uh you know I just still have my own I make my own I do my own I'm independent like that financial independence is so important and and we'll never we never realize until it's too late do we um as women I think we 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 have to think about it a lot more yeah absolutely Um, but it just, I just think it took so much strength to do that. I know I wouldn't know where to turn. I'd been in a similar situation when my business was going down the pan mm-hmm. um, in 2009. And they couldn't help me at the time. But actually taking that move of going and asking for help yeah. was the struggle that I had. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I never would have before. Um, different when you're like, oh, if you're out 
on a night out with a friend be like, oh, can I have 20? I'll give it back to you just for a taxi or whatever different, but never help like this. Never help. I'd never been on socializing, welfare payments, nothing, nothing. I had, you know, always tried to make it my own. And um, that day really, really defined, you know, who, who I was and where I was going and the independence and the confidence. Confidence not only to rise and be like, you know, rise above all else it's actually to admit yeah that you need help that's you know confidence I think is just one of the big things that if anybody was to take a piece of advice is always have confidence but confidence too for the struggles and confidence for the good times as well yeah um and so then my friend I was so lucky my friend a very good friend of mine had set up a music school just nearly around the corner from our apartment and I decided to um take on more hours and you know cello and piano teacher was what I was doing there and I got an au pair so that I could work more hours I try you know manage my day schedule my day uh, still able to have the nights out and the you know party time as well too um but it was it just worked it was I have to say that period of my life which is which wasn't very long but I was single it was so liberate even if it's liberating but it was just so important to me to find my own feet and to have my own apartment to have my work to have you know my schedule nobody was telling me what to do or go to this or I didn't have to please anybody else oh, I just yeah it was amazing and um then of course I couldn't stay off the online dating thing it was fun I hadn't been single for a long long time and I met Owen who is uh my partner today and he yeah, it was a whirlwind romance, as you could say. Didn't plan to meet anybody again, just, you know, living my free single life. And we found out we were expecting, I think, within six weeks of meeting each other. Oh, wow. Yes. So. You were busy. <laughs> busy. And it was funny because uh, when it was, I think the second time I met his family, it was like, actually, I'm expecting, congratulations, grandparents. Um, and even family were like, well, you know, and friends, what is his name? And for, <laughs> and for weeks, I, I didn't actually know his full name. Um, so I, cause everybody kept saying it's Fitzy, it's Fitzy. And I'm like, that's not his real, I knew it was Owen Fitzy, but I didn't know what the, the surname was. So, uh, found that out, I think at one of our doctor's appointments, when he had to say, uh, cause it had gone on so long that I couldn't ask him. Um, but so we then moved in together. Well, he moved in with me. I couldn't get rid of him. And, uh, we, then uh, moved eventually to Kill in County Kildare. So that was in 2013. He has a daughter from a previous relationship as well. And um, so all together after we had our daughter then in the June, we had now four kids all together. So we we had to be a big family all of a sudden. Um, And I think the shock really was for Owen that he had one child in 2012 and now four in 2013. 
<laughs> but I was working and I built up, you know, full-time hours. I had lots of students. Um, he also worked as well in financial services. So we just made it work. And at the time we moved to Kill in Kildare because my son, um, he had obviously with his autism and, you know, his the special needs, it was very hard to get him into schools. And one of the the school that was recommended was in Kill here. It's called Saplings. Um, so we we didn't have a place for him, but we said, well, if we move right beside the school, they can't not say no. Yes. And that's what I'm always kind of like. Well, if you do something that they can't say no, then, you know, and I would have walked by, you know, on our walk, we'd have to pass by the school and I'd be waving at the principal, hi, <laughs> any word on our application? And, um, but in a subtle way, you know, you have yeah. the people that ring and constantly ring and ring and ring. I like to do the subtle way of like, hi, I'm your friend. Yeah, <laughs> don't mind me, don't mind me. And uh, we eventually got him in, which is amazing um, that we did. Um, and we, yeah, so working for a good few years. I mean, don't get me wrong, there have been struggles, you know, obviously with, um, you know, my first partner, the court appearances and the in and out, being a separated uh, parent with kids and especially one with special needs can make yes. life a lot harder um, I think in order to make it work you need to have full communication and unfortunately just throughout what happened and what happened in 2012 and everything it hasn't really allowed that I am hopeful in a few years time that both can see past it um, but I've always just you know tried my best to you know have the, the boys out first and foremost you know it's not about emotion for me uh, it shouldn't be about emotion for anybody else. It's just about the kids and their well-being. So that has been a big struggle throughout the past few years. And if anybody goes through the courts uh, and separated parents in Ireland, it's it's not something, again, you can Google or, you know, different solicitors will tell you different things. It's very much, I think, again, people are starting to open up a little bit more about it, but it's still not something that's talked about. Yes, too much um so you know it's very different if you're single with no kids you can walk away and be like bye see you whereas I think you don't realize at the time when you have kids you can never there's never a bye see you like no no because that's it isn't it and um you just have to learn to find a way yeah absolutely so that yeah I mean where we are today you know, living in Nace. We eventually moved to Nace uh, to get the bigger house because our family has even more expanded. We welcomed another girl in 2015, Esme. So we have five all together and moved to the bigger house and all of them are in school here now. Both of us are working and it's just what that when I look at my life today and you know always think back to where I was I will always be grateful always like I never take anything for granted and to a point that I do have to pinch myself even talking to you today getting this opportunity like this if somebody told me I was going to be doing this you know having you know, my own business and people working for, I'd be like, no way, no way. And actually, we started the conversation with the with the 360 and, and you've yeah. done that 360 in your life as well because you went back to your your first love and music and yeah. and now that that's your business and you employ other people to do what you were doing for other people 10 years ago. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like, it's so lovely to 
be part of their journey too as well you know the teachers that work for Kyola are just amazing or the people that help out like our accountants and you know um just every the admin you know people who are all involved and I'm so grateful because I know you know I've been there I know I, I know what it's all about and I love being able to give back that experience and opportunity to others yeah no but it's it's beautiful and I do think that music is a gift and um you know I often used to say to my mom you should have pushed us harder as kids to learn something and I know you know I bought my niece a guitar for Christmas and uh, bought my other niece an an organ for Christmas because I do think it's just such a lovely thing to have you know even if it's a hot you know as a hobby or profession um it, it it's music is beautiful oh it is and you know uh, a, a person asked me a few weeks ago, what does music mean to me? And music is everything. Like I, to define it, what it means to me is just so hard because it is everything. It has been my backbone. It has been there with times are so hard. I remember, you know, when you're going through the separation and the classic, you know, somebody like Bridget Jones yeah. in the bathroom blasting the the sob songs by myself. Yeah, all by myself, exactly. But you feel it, you know. You yeah. and you know, I remember doing that. I think Adele, someone like you, was at it released in 2012. Yeah. The great timing of that because it was just constantly on uh, but music you know like that with the career now and having the business and just it has been there throughout everything and it is my life and it is who you know defines me it is who I am and it's I so love, important I love your story Kira I love everything about it I think you show exactly what people you know it's, it's exactly what people need to hear you know talking about the confidence to be able to ask for help and talking about um dealing with other people's sorrow and and what that means to us and yeah I could I could talk about those subjects all day and actually I was doing an interview earlier today and I said that the next series of Bebel is going to be in conversation and I think that's something I'd love to talk about more and I'd love to get you back to talk about it if you if you'd be willing to do so absolutely oh I'd love to absolutely well look I'm going to finish with a couple of questions from the famous jar okay okay Uh, I'm going to pick two just randoms let's have a look Oh, this is nice. And what is your favorite Sunday brunch? Oh, my favorite Sunday brunch would be a roast chicken, roast potatoes, all the veg, gravy, stuffing, Yorkshire puddings, the whole lot. Brilliant. I love it. Um, what one thing can you, can you not live without? Um, my family. Yeah. Absolutely. Family first. Yeah. And I think that is a lovely way to finish. So Kira, thank you so much for joining me today. Good luck with Kyola. It's beautiful. Your business is beautiful. You're a beautiful person. And I'm so glad to have had you on. Thank you so much for having me today.